Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 21 of the Walder Sportscast. I'm your host, Chris Walder, and if you like, feel free to follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports with far less political tweets than usual. Thank God for that. Also, if you're a fan of the show and you like what you hear, leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast because it helps me out a great deal. So, like I mentioned on the last episode, I proposed to my girlfriend, now fiancé, Megan, at the Toronto Zoo on Halloween Day. Uh, Very happy about that, of course, but now comes the truly fun part, which is planning a wedding during a worldwide pandemic. So, our dream is to get married in Florida out in Disney World. It's a very special place for the two of us, and we're doing our best to make that happen. But hopefully the numbers can level out across the border, which would do us a lot of good because that's our dream wedding. So fingers crossed there. But you're not here to hear me chat about my wedding, so you're here for the interviews. And today's is going to be a lot of fun because joining me is former Toronto Raptors point guard turned Sportsnet analyst Alvin Williams, a.k.a. Boogie himself. I recorded this interview on November 10th, which is also my brother's birthday. Happy 31st, John. And Alvin was gracious enough with his time. His his daughter ended up bringing his AirPods with her to school, uh, but he managed to find himself a new pair, so I'm grateful for that. But Alvin is truly a stand-up guy and the first former athlete to come on the show, so I can't wait to share it with you guys here today. But as always, I need to plug my show because who else will, am I right? So if you haven't done so already, once you're done with this show, of course, go check out episode 20 where I interview Toronto Raptors public address announcer Herbie Kuhn. We missed his voice and energy out in the Orlando bubble, so you can hear it once again here on the Walder Sportscast. He's a hell of a guy. I question his taste in coffee, Chris, but that's okay because I absolutely loved chatting with him. With all of that being said, though, Alvin Williams will be with me after this quick break, so keep it locked. Joining me now is Alvin Williams, one of the great point guards in Toronto Raptors history turned basketball analyst for Rogers Sportsnet here in Toronto. Alvin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So at this time of this conversation, we're still very much in the thick of it with this coronavirus pandemic. It's been a tumultuous 2020, to say the least. But, you know, Saturday brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. So first off, Alvin, I would just like to ask where you were when the news broke that Joe Biden had been declared president-elect and how you feel the magnitude of that moment has kind of permeated throughout the country. You want to know my honest answer? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know where I was because it, it was so much back and forth, whether it was confirmed or was it it was legit or, mm-hmm. you know, so it was just one of those things where the counts were still taking place. So I can't really recall. I just remember, you know, of course, people here in Philadelphia was there. They were in the streets and celebrating and stuff like that. So to be honest, I, I don't know where I was when <laughs> the actual confirmed validation of of the new the new elected president when it happened are you just glad to kind of see like the the waiting game kind of come to an end with all of the major networks covering just who was going to actually win the election i mean yeah because it became to me more of a spectacle you know people that really didn't even have a concern about politics prior to all this stuff they start looking at the networks they start looking at different things for like a form of entertainment like who was voting for who what state was you know, all these things, the swing states and, you know, all of these things that that were happening that were gaining people or attracting people attention. And I'm I'm really big on, all right, what are we all going to do to make sure this decision is the best decision, right? Are we going to, are we going to collectively come together? Are we going to address the the needs and address the true issues that goes on in our country? If not, they will be back in this place in another four years or whatever the case may be. So I'm really big on the action opposed to the entertainment that happened, I think, in the past four years. 
is there ever a part of you, Alvin, that kind of sees the state of the world, you know, socially, politically with COVID-19 and the pandemic and, you know, is taken aback by where we are as a society? Or is this just kind of like the new norm? Like, do you ever wake up and think, how did we ever get to this point? You know what? I, I, I don't because it, it affects everyone. I mean, of course, it affected people differently. And some people have really, especially with the COVID, um, with COVID, you know, people have lost lives. Families have been changed forever. And for me, it's just a temporary thing. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I didn't have anyone close to me or my life, anything life-changing happen other than, you know, being uncomfortable for a while. So it's just one of those things where I've always looked at it as an opportunity for all of us to come together, you know, as mm -hmm. a society to beat this thing. And, and you still see the struggles with that. You know, some people don't want to wear a mask. Some people feel like they need to open their businesses for the economy. Everyone has their individual objective and, and people are looking for opportunity now, you know, for their own personal goals. And instead of, you know, wiping this thing out and making sure everyone can live in a safe environment and, you know, go about life in a way that they, they're used to. And mm -hmm. for people to really, you know, combat that and and not fall in line with that and feel like it's a conspiracy or it's a, it's another plot or it's a plan, it it, it baffles me to under, to 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 even think about how people have that frame of mind. And obviously, the the basis of the NBA bubble out in Orlando this year was protecting the players and the personnel from the pandemic, while you know also using the platform to promote social change and. Obviously, we have the luxury of knowing now how it played out with a champion being crowned and no new cases being reported. But Alvin, if that were you heading to Orlando to take part, how do you think you would have approached it mentally and emotionally? Would it have been something that you felt you had to do or pressured to do? Um, I don't know. I think it would be it would determine what stage I was in my career and my age. You know, I, I'm a true basketball player and I just always love playing basketball no matter what. And I probably wouldn't think about the dangers of it or mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't think about the, you know, the, the platform that players have in order to use their voices. I probably would just been thinking about it at a, as a young Alvin to go out there and play. But the older I, the older I, I would have become or more of a veteran responsibility, I would have thought about things differently. You know, my health, my family health, um, not seeing my family. Things like that, that probably would have been had an impact on my decision. It probably would have been something I would have to consider. But I, I feel like mostly it would depend on where I was in my career at that moment. And my age would, would, would probably drive that decision I would, made, would have made. And now we see these kind of reports coming out right now of the NBA possibly returning in late December. So if you were on teams like, you know, the Lakers, the Heat, the Celtics, the Nuggets, like teams who pretty much went the distance in the bubble, do you think that kind of gives them ample time for, for the players to get ready for a new season? Because of course, we also have to take into account the teams that haven't really seen any basketball since March, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky situation. Fortunately enough, I think for the NBA and the way the game is played now, you know, players they're not criticized for taking time off throughout the season. So I think the players can really get their bodies right. They, they, don't, they don't need to have the physical strain that it may can, you may have if you stop playing in September and you have to play again in November. Right. Because the physicality of the game, the, the, um, the length of the season, those things you have to take into account. But for me, mentally is something that I, I feel that teams like the Lakers and the teams that played longer and stayed in the bubble longer um, would struggle because they didn't see their families. They didn't get a chance to do things that they're normally, they, they normally do as individuals, as family people, as professionals. So those are the things you have to consider. And I'm not sure of the structure, if there's going to be another bubble situation or the teams are actually going to travel now. So I don't know what that looks like, but um, I think you do have to take consideration, but also, it's, it's just temporary. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic that this is just a temple way, te temporary way of living where as a whole, the NBA needs to be saved and the players have a big part of that. So it's just one of those things, again, another, another time for being a little uncomfortable, 
until things get back on track and the NBA is still sustaining itself and being one of the top leagues where people are making a hell of a living, you know, through the course of that. And to kind of just shift gears here quickly, I recently watched The Carter Effect again on Netflix, and I remember Tracy McGrady talking about coming to Toronto as an 18-year-old kid, you know, the legal age being 19, and he was entering a foreign country that, you know, can really get cold, and I'm sure you experienced that. And we've heard stories over the years about Toronto struggling to get free agents back in the day because it's not the United States and, and you know, a, a litany of reasons that kind of stem from that. So I'm curious with you, Alvin, when you were traded from, you know, the Portland Trailblazers back in 98 to Toronto, how did you initially kind of take to coming to a new country for a team that had limited success and, and limited history? Because it was just, I believe, the third season in its existence. Yeah, as I said, you know, with the question during the bubble, right? Like, it depends what age I am and at that yeah. early age I would have played anywhere man it didn't it didn't make a difference I wanted to play whether it was in Portland I was having a great time in Portland I was I was alongside of one of my childhood friends and Rashid Wallace and I just got you know I was playing we were winning and I loved my teammates but I was doing what I loved to do and you know get the phone call that I got traded to Toronto things shifted quickly but the one constant was I was going to do what I loved to do so it didn't matter at the end of the day. I was going to see Rashid in the offseason. I knew I was going to have some more good teammates. I knew that, you know, wherever I was going to go, I was going to get an opportunity to play. So that was the biggest thing. So I didn't take into consideration the weather, a foreign country, a new organization, win or losing. I didn't take any of that into consideration because all I wanted to do was just play basketball. And someone who covered a ton of your games here in Toronto was Chuck Swarski. And he hit hmm. me up on Twitter recently when I said I was interviewing you. My and God. he brought up the fact that you were one of his all-time favorites. And he brought up the fact that he remembers calling your triple-double game against the Atlanta Hawks in 2001 when you had a line of 11 points, 10 rebounds, and 14 assists. And I think that, you know, these days we're kind of numb to triple doubles because we see them occur so often, you know, when you factor in guys like Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. But for the Raptors, I mean, you're one of the few guys to actually achieve one. So if you can, Alvin, take me back to that night. And if you remember, you know, being close throughout the game to getting the triple double and perhaps how hard it was for you to get those numbers. Um, I, I don't remember exactly. I remember getting the triple double. I remember getting close to rebounds. Rebounds was the last thing I needed. And I remember we had JYD at that time. And JY, would, he would snatch all the rebounds. He would, <laughs> you know, he'll run you over and get a rebound. So I remember that happening. Yeah. I just needed one more rebound. And it seemed like somebody shot the ball and everybody cleared out. And I was the only one there. So it was pretty much, it was almost staged. But, you know, it's just one of those things, like you said, the game is so different now. The game is smaller. The smaller guys out on the floor, it's not... You know, a six foot, it's not a seven foot center and a six ten power forward on your team, and it's not a seven foot center and a six foot ten power forward on the other team where that's four big guys on the court. Yeah. Guards weren't going in there. And Antonio Davis and Charles Oakley and those guys would tell you to get your little ass out of there <laughs> and don't take my rebound. So it was it was a whole different game. It's more possessions now, it's longer shots, it's quicker shots. So it gives players an opportunity to get more uh, triple doubles, and these players are—they're much more athletic. They're—they're they're, they're very talented. So, but it was at that time, I guess it was big. But I was never a stats guy. Like, and I—I have—I have conversations with my friends now, and they used to—they used to always say, like, oh, well, now they say you could have scored so much, you could have been more of a scorer. And I had to tell them, I was like, anytime I scored or felt like I scored a lot or looked to score. My team never had the type of success that we could have. And right. what sense would it make for me to try to score when I got Vince Carter on the other side? I would look like a complete idiot <laughs> if I was taking shots and not passing the ball to Vince. So I was very right. comfortable with that role of uh, whatever, whatever I needed to do. But that day, a couple stats piled up, and it was a good time. Do you think numbers are kind of more important now to like the current generation of basketball players? Because back in the day, it's hard to imagine, you know, some of your veteran teammates really caring about how many points or rebounds they put up in the box score. It was more focused on winning. But now you see all of these stat milestones being broken and guys gunning for rebounds, gunning for assists. I know it's hard for you to kind of speak on players who, who compete today, but do you kind of see that trend occurring? Well, a uh, number is always big. I mean, you had guys who wanted to score, like. You had guys that wanted to get their rebounds. You had guys that wanted to get assists. And 
the pros, they know how to stat. They know how to go about their stats. They know who to pass to to get that assist. They know when to pass. And some players, if they're assist guys, they'll be mad at you if you don't shoot the ball so they can get the assist. So (laughs) scores is the same way. I just think now it's magnified because a lot of the stats, the contracts that we see now are generated by stats and analytics. So people are really in tune to stats, to statistics, and Mm -hmm. all of those things. So when it comes to the stats, people are really highlighting them, as well as like championships. When you get to identify players and you compare players now, the first thing you look at is a stat and a championship. And that's how you define who's better or whatever the case may be, opposed to looking at the game, finding out who fulfills their role at the best capabilities and you look at the game with your eye test. So stats are really magnified, but I can't lie, stats have always been there. Ever since we were little kids, everybody wanted yeah. to be the leading scorer. Everybody wanted to, you know, but once you feel, once you realize you can't be the leading scorer, then you try to figure something else out, maybe with the assists, but numbers were always a big thing in, in sports, I believe. Well, it would be pretty difficult to go this entire podcast, you know, without bringing up that shot you hit against the New York Knicks in the 2001 playoffs, which, you know, in my opinion, was the shot in Raptors history before Kawhi Leonard came along, of course. <laughs> Get a nice opportunity here to run the clock off. Williams falls down, recovered by Carter with three on the shot clock. Here is Williams, and he hits it, and that may do it. I know you've talked about that moment to death, Alvin, but what kind of always fascinates me about, you know, being on that stage was that you hit it in New York City at Madison Square Garden in one of the most famous arenas in the world. So was there something, you know, just a little bit extra special about playing in MSG, like a feeling that you may have had that you wouldn't have otherwise felt in other cities or other buildings? Oh, definitely. From beginning to end, not even that shot, just, you know, getting an opportunity to play. First of all, getting an opportunity to play and play in the playoffs because the season prior, I didn't get off the bench. I think I played 4.5 seconds the whole entire series. So the next season, I got a chance to play. I got a chance to start and I was playing pretty well and we won. And it was in New York. You see the celebrities. New York City, being in Philadelphia, growing up, that's all you heard about was New York City basketball players. So when we used to go to camps and all of those things, New York City basketball players were always the top dogs. They were the guys that you were chasing. They had the most notoriety. They had the most swag. They had the most, you know, they had the they had the people around them. They had everything. And New York has always been that way. You know, it's the city of bright lights. And when you get there and you see the celebrities and you see the energy, and it was in the playoffs, and they had great players, the Trail Sprewell, Allen Houston, yeah. you know, those guys, man, Marcus Camby. And it was just a great time to be a, be a part of, you know, that that series. And then, you know, Toronto, us actually winning. And I knew I knew how our fans, you know, took to us. They loved us. It was a passionate relationship there. And just having that whole feeling collectively was was something I'll never forget. Do you remember any specifics from the reaction you received after essentially clinching that series? Like, do you recall any ill will from Knicks fans and maybe not even from that shot specifically, but from that entire series, just because of how passionate that fan base is. No, man, you know, they're, they're passionate, but they're not, they're not, I don't see them as being rude. You look at mm-hmm. Philadelphia, Philadelphia is rude, right? <laughs> I, I play here. I'm from here and I could go out to the mall and go out to South street and places around Philly and really get heckled on the street. Like where, where, where it would get personal. Yeah. New York was always, you know, even after the times go out, party, hang out, still to today sometimes, like, oh, man, you're the guy who did it, whatever the case may be. But it's always, it's, it's a respect level, right? It's a respect level. So I've never heard anything, you know, coming from that. Now, Vince and guys like that, that may be a little different because, you know, they, those guys were getting 50, Kobe, Mike, they, and Reggie Miller, those guys, they probably, they probably hate those guys, but it's still... <laughs> It's still a respect, and it, that's what you appreciate about New York because they love their sports, they're passionate about their sports, but I think in a whole, as a whole, they just love great entertainment. And then you bring you bring up Philadelphia, of course, and then you know Toronto obviously moves on. You battle the Sixers in the next round, which must have been extremely special for you, you know, being from the city, attending Villanova and whatnot. So, but I'm I'm curious though because. Obviously, you wanted to win that series and advance to the conference finals, but you're also a local. So once that series was over, you know, Vince Carter unfortunately misses that game winner. 
was there any part of you, even like a tiny bit whatsoever, that was like, yeah, we came up short, but at least it was a team that I have hometown ties to that I can at least have like a vested interest in so I can be, you know, I can be happy for the Philadelphia fans here as well. Or was it just like such a competition standpoint at that point that the disappointment kind of overturned all of that? Chris, I wish we were face to face right now so you could see my face when you ask that question. <laughs> Heck no. I Oh my god. I would I would have rather lose to the Milwaukee Bucks than anybody else to lose to the Sixers. Like I right. hate the Sixers. Like I, I I mean, I didn't even grow up as a Sixer fan. I was a Lakers fan. So Okay. But more importantly, I don't like the Philadelphia teams because I don't like Philadelphia fans. Like I said, they're rude. You know, they, mm-hmm. they get violent, they obnoxious. <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous the way they treat each other and treat people. But um no, none of those feelings happened. I was I was pissed off. Yeah. I was hurt. I was pissed off when we lost. I'm pissed off today that we lost. Uh I was pissed off especially when I came back home that summer and you know, seeing because they went all the way to the championship that year. Yeah. So they just they're very the Sixer fans, Philadelphia fans are very difficult to get along with. But right. um it it was tough. So I was I was pissed off, man, that we lost. And it was nothing about me being from Philly that kind of eased that pain. I think it made it even worse. How often do you think about what could have been had that shot gone in and like going up against Milwaukee and potentially the Lakers? Like if you had gotten to the finals, do you ever imagine how your Raptors team could have fared against, you know, the the Shaq Kobe Lakers? You know, I never thought about how we would fare because that that Lakers team, I don't think anybody, and I'm being 100% honest, I don't see anyone beating that team, right? Shaq right. was so dominant. Kobe was dominant. Their role players, you know, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, like these guys, they that, that was a team, man. And mm-hmm. it, I don't see I don't see us winning. I don't see us winning, but I know we were going out there and fight. Like we weren't going right. to lay down. We had, we had, we did have great players. We had veteran leadership, and we had physicality. So we, um, we definitely would have gave a fight. But that would have been a tough. That would have been a tough game, uh, uh, series for us. But um, I don't think about it much. I, I did think about it back then, but now I try to get past it. But it's still like, damn, I wish we didn't. I, I'd say I wish we didn't lose to the Sixers because even mm-hmm. if we beat the Sixers. We would have had a tough matchup with Milwaukee, which I believe we would have we would have beat them, but it would still have been a tough matchup. Well, one guy Philadelphia fans will probably universally love until the end of time is Allen Iverson. So where does kind of AI rank in terms of the hardest players you've ever been tasked with defending? Number one. Number one, eh? He's, he's right there. And it's probably because I had to play against him a lot, even in college. Right. But um he was just one of those guys that his role was to attack, 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 and he never stopped. Like some players, if they miss two or three shots, four shots, five shots, ten shots, they may become a little bashful. He just start going more. He start becoming more determined. I'm gonna make the next one. So it was, when you have when you have to guard someone like that, and you have to guard someone with a team, you know, rely on them to get the buckets and the coaches and everything is structured around them to play. And not to mention, he was just a bad man. It, it yeah. was it was it was a bad combination for any defender, especially myself. When you look back at that Philadelphia series again, I always kind of it always falls back on Vince Carter missing that shot, but also the fact that he went to graduation that day. And do you think that him missing that shot, but having gone to his graduation, do you think that's one of the more overblown stories and angles you've ever had to be associated with? That somehow him attending his graduation was the reason the Raptors lost. I mean, it's it's not a fair. It's not a fair assessment, but it, it is. It comes with it, right? If you're yeah. a superstar and anything that happens, good, bad, it's going to get highlighted, especially with us Toronto Raptors. You know, T- Vince was the face for Toronto Raptors. Vince was the face for basketball in that country. And anything that he, he would have done, it would have been highlighted. So it just it's just the territory, right? And mm-hmm. it's not... We didn't lose the game because Vince went to the final. I mean, went to the graduation. We didn't lose that game. But back then, if he would have hit that shot, went and graduated from college, it would imagine what that story would have been like, right? Yeah. Like, you know, getting your degree and, you know, not letting, you know, basketball and your priorities. However you wanted to shape that, that, that story, you could have. And now that he missed the shot, now you can shape it a different way. So that's just the nature of the beast. 
that's that's Vince Carter. If I would have went to the if I would went to my graduation, nobody would have thought twice about it, right? So it was just the fact who he was and what happened, and we end up losing that game that people still talk about it. You know, Vince, like you said, clearly gets a ton of credit because he was the superstar of those Raptors teams that garnered all of the mainstream attention. But it obviously doesn't wasn't just him that got Toronto to that point. So Alvin, of the teammates that you had on those Raptors squads that were in the postseason, is there maybe one or two players that you don't think get enough love and respect for their contributions from those looking back to those times? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be fair to name two, right? Or one. Yeah. It's, it was so many. It was, And you talk about a Vince Carter, you talk about somebody like myself, you talk about Tracy McGrady, you talk about people like that. Without the veterans that we had from Charles Oakley to D. Brown, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry, Doug Christie, Antonio Davis, Charles Oakley, Kevin Willis, these guys, without without that, we would none of us would have been the professionals that we ended up becoming. And mm-hmm. they they gave us so much. They gave us so much knowledge. They gave us so much ability and confidence through work ethic, through direction, through example. It, it was just unbelievable to to me fall in a locker room with those type of players, those type of grown men, those type of people. And the same, I think Vince and Tracy would say the same thing. Michael Stewart would say the same thing. John Thomas would say the same thing. Like all of the young guys there would say the same thing. So I, it wouldn't even be fair just to name one because we had a collective, a collection of veteran great players. And now, you see the older players, they just hang on a little bit. These guys mm-hmm. are still playing at a high level. Like, they're playing a lot of minutes. They're working out every day in practice. Their pra- our practices were very intense. So they weren't just, just there waving a towel and telling us what to do. They were showing us what to do as well. So we had, we had a great unit. And I think those players right there shaped what Toronto Raptors and what the fans saw the potential of what, what could possibly come and what we see today. I know the game has kind of evolved a great deal over the years. You know, you're seeing more shooting these days and an outside game and what have you. But just picture this for a moment. Uh, you know, it's a seven-game series. It's the 2001 roster with yourself, Vince, you know, Antonio, Mo Pete, guys like that. And you're going up against the modern-day Raptors. You know, your, your friend Kyle Lowry, Siakam, Gasol. What kind of advantages do you think your team would have had in such a series? And how do you think it would have played out? It would have been tough, man, because the game is different, right? Back then when we played, it was more of a one-on-one game. Yeah. So, you know, it was Vince Carter and then Antonio Davis, and then the rest of us would fall in line. We were, we fulfill our role. Um, now it's just a free-flowing. Like, you'll see uh, Fred VanVleet. You'll see Kyle. You'll see Pascal Siakam. You'll see, you know, whether it was Kawhi. You'll see a bunch of these guys, even though Kawhi was the top dog as far as the score and, and – the guy that they relied on, but all of these guys get you 20, 25, and anytime. So it was just a different thing. I think one thing we would have defensively, I think we we were we were we probably would be a better team. Mm-hmm. But offensively, the way they played, the way the ball moved, it'd have been very difficult um, um to play. But I think ultimately it was a different style. It was a different style. Now if you play, if you say back then when we played we would have a great chance to, to beat that team. But if we played today, last year, when they won the championship mm-hmm. two years ago, they, they would have probably the better chance of beating us. But I'll tell you one thing, I would have locked Kyle down. He would have <laughs> been doing all that tough guy stuff. I, 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 would, I would have locked Kyle down. So you, and you let him know that. <laughs> oh, I'll be sure to hit him up on social media and say, Alvin, pass this message along. But trust me, we're, we're going to talk about Kyle shortly. But uh, Alvin, we're drawing to a close here. But before I send you off, I have some fun rapid fire questions to send you on your way. One, two, three, 
So I heard this story about how you got the Boogie nickname, which came from former Raptor Antonio Lang, you know, during your one-on-one -on -one battles, and he'd call you Boogie, which eventually stuck when your teammates called you that in the locker room. So I was curious if you've ever had any other nicknames you're particularly fond of, and if not, if you ever had any ideas for nicknames if Boogie was never given to you. Uh, Al is my only nickname. Short for Alvin. Little okay. Al. <laughs> that was named after my dad. When I was like in seventh, eighth grade, my sister old boyfriend used to call me Smooth. And and that was it. But other than that, the only thing that stuck was Boogie. And that's only that's only in Canada. That's only in Canada, not okay. here in Philadelphia. Here in Philadelphia is Al. Do you ever look at DeMarcus Cousins and be like, hey, I was the original Boogie over here just putting it out there? <laughs> no, I don't. Because you know what? <laughs> Boogie was a common name. Like you would say, like if it was you, it called you C Boogie, or yeah. A Boogie, or K Boogie, or L. Boogie. Like it was like one of those things where if you had something, if you like, just because of basketball, me and Tony used to play a lot, like the moves and stuff like that. And he's like, man, you boogieing out there, and that's where it came. It was a common name, so I was, I definitely wasn't the first, but <laughs> but it is something that stuck with me. Well, now I'm going to have to call myself Sea Boogie for the there rest of this podcast. The Sea Boogie podcast. There you go. Just there putting you it go. out there. <laughs> uh, Elvin, I ask everyone this on the podcast. Uh, I'm curious, in your free time, since we seem to have a lot more of it these days, what do you find yourself binge-watching in your spare time? Probably SportsCenter. I don't, I don't watch much TV. I'm, I'm a big Martin Lawrence fan, so I watch okay. old throwback Martins, but I don't, I don't watch much TV. No Netflix, no you know Hulu, nothing like that? Nothing like that. Not at all. Jeez, even during a pandemic with all this free time. Okay. Well, Sports I can't, Center. I can't tell you the other things I've been doing during this pandemic. That's why I'm 24 pounds overweight. So we'll hey, you keep and me that both, between man. us. <laughs> you and me both. Alvin, where does fouling Kobe Bryant during summer pro league play in Long Beach State rank in terms of the worst reactions you've ever received from fans in attendance? <laughs> Number one. <laughs> oh, really? It still Number stands one. up there, right? Yeah, I never got booed like that in my life. I, they didn't even know who I was, I'm sure. But it's the fact that I fouled Kobe Bryant. and But they didn't know Kobe was... Kobe, Kobe's my young buck. And they didn't know he was talking... Kobe talks a lot of trash. So mm -hmm. it just happened where I, I fouled him. I fouled and I let him know I fouled him. I wanted, it was like, I wanted to let him know, like, now that's a foul. And he, he didn't back down. And we know each other from kids. So... When it, but the crowd didn't know that. And the mm -hmm. crowd, they booed the hell out of me. Every time I touched, that was the only, and that was the first and only time that I ever got booed for touching a ball or anything like that. I was a, I was public enemy number one for that, for that game. So he was even royalty way back then, eh? Man, Kobe Bryant was royalty from, from the first, his first step. Like mm -hmm. he worked, of course he worked towards that, but he had, he had a persona, he had an aura, he had a way he carried himself where Whatever room he walked in, he was going to be noticed, right? Right. And whether it's through his intellect, whether it's through him walking with his head up high, whether it's his smile, whether he's talking it like his deep voice, he's or just his talent, like he was going to be known. So when he walked into L.A., when he got to L.A. as a young kid, and he was doing the things that he was doing as a young kid, where it wasn't much expectation on him. Um, coming out like they didn't even think he should have went directly to went to the NBA but right the things that he was doing you know they they love Kobe so I know you're a fan of Halle Berry and let's be honest that's probably putting it a little bit lightly but <laughs> if you were to be stuck in quarantine with one of her movie characters like Storm from X-Men Catwoman you know Sharon Stone from the Flintstones who would you pick and why I would Halle Berry just and, Halle Berry in general. <laughs> yeah, Halle Berry and and Strictly Business. Oh, well, okay. well, no, no. You know what? Not maybe not Strictly Business. Maybe Boomerang. I loved her in Boomerang. It showed. I don't know if, you, if I don't know if you saw the movie, and I can't mm -hmm. remember. I can't remember her name in Boomerang, but she she was she was an art teacher. Well, she was she was a her part time. She taught art to kids like in inner city. Okay. And, you know, she worked at a, as an advertisement firm. I'm giving you the movie. And she worked at an advertisement firm, but she was like under Robbie Gibbons. She was like her assistant or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you just saw her development. And, but you saw the part of her heart within that movie. And that was a cool, that was a cool uh, character to see her. I'm not sure if that's her in real life, 
but that was a character that I was really interested in. Plus, she looked very, very good. Very good. <laughs> Did you ever see Catwoman, the the basketball, the infamous basketball scene? Do you think you could have taken her that day? I never saw a Catwoman. So I was a Halle Berry fan. I'm not, as I mentioned, I, I don't really watch many movies. But, you know, certain movies, like I'm, I'm a Martin Lawrence fan. So the reason why I watched Boomerang, and it's probably because of Martin, but Halle Berry was definitely in there as well, so it had a great cast. But yeah, I, I didn't see I didn't see many of her movies. Um, I'm, I, I'm I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> well, you're still a fan, and I'm sure she appreciates the love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she got to realize I don't I don't love her just because just because she's an, a popular actress or actor. You know, I I mean, it's the person. It's all about the heart. No, absolutely. That goes a long <laughs> way these days. <laughs> Well, I, I probably know the answer to this question, but Alvin, one game to 21, both of you in your prime, it's you versus Kyle Lowry. Who's walking Me. away victorious? Oh, well, I couldn't even finish the Me. question. Me. Have you ever played him one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, you you ask him. <laughs> he you has some stories, him. eh? <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll let you know. But now it, it's, it comes to a point where, well, I don't play him at all. It's a, it's, it's a mismatch all the way around, but... Right. You have to play limited, like limited amount of dribbles and stuff mm -hmm. like that, because I can't, I can't guard him if he's out there dribbling and all. But now, that was before that jump shot got to where it is now. <laughs> so now it's a bigger problem for me. But the last time I think he cheated, and I continued to play, and he he hit me in my ribs, and I think he cracked like two of my ribs, and I never played him again after that. So oh jeez, that, that that was about that was about five six years ago, and I said nah, that's it. But was yeah, he, early on, I, early on, I would have mopped him up. What, did he ever look to draw a charge against you? That seems to be <laughs> one of his calling cards. <laughs> he probably did. You know what? We used to play summer. I used to cheat. And when I retired, I had a, we had Pro-Am in Philadelphia. And I put Kyle on the team. Kyle mm -hmm. would be on my team. And back then, rookie year, second year in the league, he was taking charges in summer leagues taking charges, people running him over. That guy's unbelievable. Like his mindset, the way he played in a Philly summer leagues was the way you see him play in the NBA. It's nothing different. It's nothing. The intensity, the uh, the aggressiveness, the physicality. It's like Kyle, where we're at Drexel University, six o'clock in, in, in the evening with about five people in the gym. Come on, man, you don't gotta do that. But he, he that's him. So the same way he played here in Philadelphia, from the mud, he plays the same way in the NBA. Same type of player, man. Well, that doesn't surprise me because I was watching him take charges during the NBA All-Star Game, which is just <laughs> a glorified exhibition. So that doesn't shock me in the slightest. But exactly, you know, you you played with Vince Carter, and you're obviously close friends with Kyle Lowry. And you know, it, sometimes it's hard to kind of put these rankings into context. But do you think Kyle Lowry is the greatest Toronto Raptor of all time? I mean, I I, I hate having those conversations. Kyle is one of the greatest. If, mm -hmm. I mean, it depends, right? It's all these arguments that you can make. Champion, the longest tenure, stats, and all that stuff. But I know Kyle gave his heart and soul. He gives his heart and soul to the game of basketball, and he's in the Toronto Raptor uniform. And he's given his heart and soul to the organization. So with everything that he's accomplished, his growth, and you have to put him right up there. But I also know the same with Vince. You know, the only thing that happened with Vince is the departure wasn't, you know, in the brightest light. And it was some negative feedback and all this stuff. But when you talk about a performer and we talk about the impact that he, he without Vince, I'm not even sure if the Toronto Raptors would be in existence. So right. the things that he's, he, he did for this, not just for the franchise, but for basketball in the country is something you have to consider as well. So in my eyes, they're both, they're both right there. They're both right there as two guys that the, the organization owe a lot to. So and I know, you got to throw DeMar DeRozan in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a total fan favorite. What was your reaction when that trade went through with the, the Kawhi Leonard? Was it sad to see him go? Yeah, it was sad because I knew he didn't want to go. And mm -hmm. a lot of times you get lost in a, in a business and you have the emotional, personal piece to it. And I knew, you know, it's business where it allowed me to get over it quickly. But if you're a DeMar DeRozan and you're not, you haven't experienced that, and I don't know the conversations that happened leading up to that, but if you haven't experienced that and you feel like you've committed everything to this organization and you feel like when I was a free agent, I came back 
sometimes you're just thinking you're gonna be there for the rest of your life. But the, the business, it happens. So I, I did feel bad for him, but at the end of the day, the organization has to make the right the right decision for for what they what they what they see fit. And Masaya Jerry, you know, he pulled the trigger, and what do you know, a championship later. So those those things happen, and I'm sure everyone can get over it quickly now. <laughs> You can wipe your tears with a championship ring, eh? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I know you're a fan of the 1985 hip-hop film Crush Groove, which is based on the start of Def Jam and features a number of big-time acts like Run DMC, of course. Does that movie kind of encapsulate the music you loved during that time? And is there maybe a certain artist from that film that you like more than the rest? Oh, man, that's that's it. That's what I got. My sister, I remember my sister taking me to see that movie. I was like... 11 years old and that's what I saw right I saw the style I saw you know the urban the urban aspect of it the graffiti the music the Adidas the glad like I saw all that and mm -hmm. Run DMC today is still my favorite hip-hop group and LL Cool J in that movie nice. was my guy I loved LL I was that I was an LL guy but um, yeah, Run DMC and LL were the guys. Even you know, Fat Boys, you know, all these guys, man. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, it, all all those guys in that movie was 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 that's that was me. I was 11 years old. You couldn't tell me I wasn't a break dancer. You couldn't tell me I wasn't a rapper. I just couldn't get my mom wouldn't get me the glasses and the chains and, the, and I couldn't wear my sneakers without the shoestrings in them. So I, I had limitations. Can, can you and I both agree, though, that All You Can Eat by the Fat Boys is kind of a weird song? Oh, yeah. It's, it's weird <laughs> when you think about it, but you could, I could, I could sing it. I sing it all. I sing it all. I could sing it verse by verse, man. So that, and I was skinny as hell, so it didn't, it didn't fit me, but that was, that was my song. I just appreciate the fact that you can eat all you can eat for three ninety nine back in the day. That wouldn't fly today. For all you can eat. I'm going to stuff my face to a funky beat. Yeah. Inflation has ruined that for, for people like me who want to get all you can eat. It's not three ninety nine. let me tell <laughs> exactly. you. Exactly. But I know traveling is something that you'd like to do more of, but obviously with the pandemic, that's easier said than done. So what's one place that you'd like to visit, maybe not to, to vacation, but to wrap yourself up in the culture and maybe learn more about the country and the people? Mm, you know, that, that's interesting. Always, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I had some time in Spain. I had some time in Barcelona. Okay. I really, I really, I really didn't consider, you know, learning more about the culture. I was there actually partying and hanging out. So, but <laughs> I, I think I would like to go go to Africa. I've never been to any country in Africa. Okay. Um, I will learn to love, learn more, and just see different ways of people, the way people live. And you know, during these times, you you hear about, you know, you're starting to have more awareness about, you know my race and my heritage and things like that. I didn't grow up in a household where we talked a lot about our heritage and our race. We didn't, I didn't even really know my grandfather, right? So right. My, my dad didn't know his father. It was just a way of living that I was brought up. So it wasn't always on the top of my list of wanting to know certain things, but it is interesting to see how we got to this place, right? Mm -hmm. How things happened and what was it like before we got to this place. And just going back, so what I have been doing is just, you know, taking more of a deeper understanding of, of trying to learn a little bit more um, when it comes to that until I can actually visit those places that I'm interested in and really having an uh, in-person type of more intimate interaction. Alvin, transitioning from being a professional athlete to an on-air basketball analyst, what's one thing about being in front of the camera covering the game, which is everything you would expected it would be, and what's one thing that came kind of as a surprise to you initially when working that role? Um, nerves. I mean, the nerves are still there. Like It's like yeah. kind of like when you walk into an arena and you're about to play. You still have that energy and you still have that excitement, but it, 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 affects, it affects your nerves. And it's the same thing before a game and before you know you actually get on air. I'm, I got like I shiver a little bit, right? My nerves, I get a little nervous. So those things are there. But you know the one thing that I realized, and I should I should have known it, is the preparation piece. Like, mm -hmm. and if you really want to be good at it, you have to prepare. You have to be prepared. You have to take notes. You have to study. You have to you have to really commit to the job. And that's the one part that I really love. And 
it comes easy to me because I know how to prepare, right? I know how to prepare. And the beautiful thing is, is basketball. So at the end of the day, you, you settle down and say, hey, I'm just discussing basketball. And just like when you were playing, even when you were having struggles or something like that, you have to take a deep breath and say, man, at the end of the day, we're playing basketball. So mm-hmm. I, I, I use both tactics when it comes to relaxing and getting ready to try to do my job. So another cool fact about you, of course, is that you and actor Bradley Cooper went to school together in Philadelphia, correct? Yeah, that's my man. We went to Germantown Academy from seventh grade on. I'm not sure how familiar you are with his filmography, of course. I know you don't watch a lot of movies, but if there was one Bradley Cooper movie that you would love to step in and play his role, which one would it be? Play his role? Yeah. Hmm. There's like Wedding Crashers, there's The Hangover, yeah. A Star hangover. is Born. The Hangover? I think, I think Hangover. I like to hang out in Vegas with my friends, and he was he was kind of the, the lead, and he was making sure things, but Hangover was, there, there were some wild nights, but... <laughs> it seemed like it was a, it was a cool time. It's funny because when I got reconnected with Brad, I think the Hangover or Hangover Two. Yeah, it was Hangover Two because that right. was in Vegas. I want to say, and we were supposed to connect, and I was gonna go out to Vegas and hang out with him, and I, I couldn't make it. But that was one of the first times we got reconnected from uh, from high school. So we were college, never get- actually. We went to college together as well. So we're never going to see you show off your vocal cords, you know, like sit alongside Lady Gaga, do some songs together. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you're not going to see that. that. That's not bad either. I, but I didn't I didn't see that movie. So I think mm-hmm. I think after Brad. Right. So it's funny because when I got the word that he was an actor, because I never knew him to be an actor. Right. I, okay. I didn't know anything. So someone told me Brad is going to be in Wedding Crash, the movie Wedding Crashers. So I don't go to the movies. I go see it just to see him. And it was good. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I know, another movie come out, maybe Hangover or whatever. So I go see that to so support. And then I'm like, yo, this dude is a big deal. So movies <laughs> after movies start coming out. I was like, well, hell, I, he don't need my support no more, man. I'm not, I'm not going to any more movies. So I just catch him. So it was funny. That's how it actually happened. I saw like his first three or four movies. And then mm-hmm. after a while, I was like, man, this dude's big. I can't go see all these movies. So yeah. I, it, but I tell you this, it couldn't happen to a better person, man. Like. Mm-hmm. When I say a great person, and people say it all the time, he's a great person, down to earth, and that's one person, like, if we talk today, we'll share some stories, and it would never change. Like, nothing changes, nothing gets highlighted. Like, it's, he's just a great, great dude, man. And lastly, Alvin, there may be a ton of new Raptors fans out there who weren't fortunate enough to catch you play back in the day. So, for those fans who may be writing the recent momentum of the team, what do you want them to know most about who you were as a basketball player and, you know, even now, who you are as an analyst and a human being? Um, I mean, I would want them to know what everybody else, what I would want anybody else to know, that I'm a, I'm a good dude. Um, I try to be a good, I mean, I am a good dude. I try to try to be the man that I need to be for my family. Uh, that's it. I mean, as far as basketball, I went out there and played my butt off every night. I know... Um, people like to say I sacrificed my my health, but I just did once I what what I wanted what I what I always loved to do, and then no matter what, if I had one leg or one ankle and I could go out there and play, I would play. But like I said, I had a locker room full of vets that did the same thing. I wasn't the only one that went out there and played like that. So it, it wasn't it wasn't much of a sacrifice. It was something at that time where I was doing what I was supposed to do and I loved to do it. But you know, I work. I walk with a little limp now, but <laughs> that's all good. And that's that's basically it, man. It's nothing as far as basketball they need to know about me other than I'm just trying to be the best person that I could be. And I love the hell out of Toronto. I love to be there. I love working for Sportsnet. I love interacting with the guys. I love being close to Kyle Lowry and still having a piece of you know some of that energy. But it's, it's the best thing. I mean, I wouldn't change anything for the world, man. I, I love Toronto and I love the fans and I love the people and the relationships that I developed while I was there. Well, Alvin, man, I want to thank you once again for coming on my podcast. I pushed for this so hard because, and I sent you so many emails because I know how important you are to the history of the Raptors and how cool it is to see you with Sportsnet covering the team. But before I let you go, though, please tell the listeners what you have going on in your life and where they can find you on the web. Oh, man, I, I don't know what I have going on in my life. I'm trying to figure <laughs> it out day by day. I uh, Actually, I'm doing a lot of educational things. I, I started I started two 
two things. It's called No Cap Academy 97. 97 signifies the day I was, the year I was drafted, and I learned what I'm teaching kids now from financial education, from the mental health side, career transition, all of these things that if an athlete or if a young kid decides that they want to be a pro athlete, I'm teaching them everything that I've experienced. And I'm using my network of people, former former teammates, uh, former uh, other former athletes to help deliver the word and so the players and families can use them as a resource. Because when you get when you when you get to the level that you know I was fortunate enough to get to, a lot of things happened that I had no idea about, right? I had right. no idea about injury. I had no idea about finances. I had no idea about you know, how to conduct yourself socially when it came to certain situations. So um, teaching kids that, and I'm also starting with a partner of mine, two other partners of mine, a sports management company, which has a division of going around to universities and different leagues and speaking the same thing I'm teaching the younger kids, financial education and all of those things that come with it, the mental health, the mental preparation for the sport and in life and career transition. And we're doing those things and it's using the same the same uh, strategy as using former athletes. They can speak to it, and other professionals in certain industries that can speak even deeply into how to execute some of these game plans. So that's what I'm. I, by heart, I'm a teacher, man. I always wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, always wanted to be an elementary school teacher. That was my edu- That was my that was my major in, in Villanova elementary education. And I think I'm giving it back. I'm finally getting into that. I, I'm in a great position where I'm where I'm able to uh, use my platform to help drive those things along. Well, Alvin, I, I wish you all the best. Please stay safe out there. All the best to you, you and your family. And again, thank you once again for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Chris, thanks so much for having me, man. And that was my interview with Alvin Williams. He's not too active on social media, but you can give him a follow on Twitter at 20 underscore a will. In an ideal world, somewhere down the line, if the opportunity arises, I would absolutely love to have Alvin and Kyle Lowry on together to talk their history. They probably have hundreds of stories to tell, so who knows, maybe I'll be that fortunate. This was all me sound editing the show today, so I hope it sounds okay, but again, I wouldn't know Jack if it weren't for the talented Jason Lung, who you can follow on Twitter at jlung 20 He's the cream of the crop when it comes to sound editing, so reach out to him if you'd like him to work on your show or podcast. This has been episode 21 of the Walder Sportscast. Leave a rating and review if you like what you heard. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, or wherever it is that you download your shows. Support the show however you can. Tell your friends, share, whatever you like, because every little bit goes a long way. That's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.